0: Well, we've been talking about God's Word, God's presence, and God's ways. I got a uh, thing this week from, I think it was Christianity Today online, and they were saying people usually forget within two hours what they heard on Sunday morning. So I know that that's a possibility. I hope that the Word makes more of an impression on you. But I want us to say these things again. God's Word. God's presence, and God's ways. This is a theme for us this year. God's word, God's presence, and God's ways. These are three priorities that the Lord wants us to press into. And we're doing a short mini-series here and uh, just talking about uh, God's word, God's presence, and God's ways. I want to read a, uh, just a brief story. Uh, this came out of a AmusingPlanet.com, stories about the earth, And the title of the story was, The Lighthouse That Wrecked More Ships Than It Saved. So Lord, open our hearts to hear your word today. For more than 40 years, a lighthouse stood on a large peninsula jutting out into the Tasman Sea in southern Australia. It stood at a place where it shouldn't have, luring ignorant ships into the very rocks they were trying to avoid. The cliffs around Cape St. George, just south of Jervis Bay, were notorious for shipwrecks. So it was decided that a lighthouse was needed for safe navigation of coastal shipping. In 1857, the colonial architect Alexander Dawson began looking for a site suitable for a lighthouse on Cape St. George. Unfortunately, Dawson was more interested in the ease of construction rather than providing an efficient navigation aid. When the Pilots' Board went to verify the location Dawson chose, they found that the site was not visible uh, from the required approaches. They also found Dawson's map suffered from discrepancies so grave that it is impossible to decide whether positions marked on the map really exist. It's not the kind of lighthouse you want. The Board also suspected that Dawson chose the site solely because it was situated closer to a quarry he planned to obtain stones from. Despite the glaring deficiencies and disagreement by a majority of the board for reasons not known, the chairman of the board authorized construction of the lighthouse. For the next four decades, the ill-sighted lighthouse was responsible for two dozen shipwrecks. Eventually, in 1899, the lighthouse was replaced by the Point Perpendicular Lighthouse in a much more suitable location on the coast. Even after decommissioning, the lighthouse continued to cause navigational problems especially on moonlit nights when the golden sandstone tower glowed in the dark. So near the turn of the century, the tower was reduced to rubble to prevent any further disaster. When we change the truth of the word of God, it's like building a lighthouse in the wrong place. When people decide that somehow they have a better idea... And what God's word clearly says, and what it's been said and received as saying throughout the centuries, what happens is we actually lure people to their destruction. There are people today that look at the Bible as just any other book, and they read it with the principles of culture theory that are prevalent on our universities. So they'll read it using feminist culture theory. They read the Bible through feminist culture eyes, or they read the Bible through uh, racial theory. And they look for things that are there. I had one rabbi that told me that he said, Well, he said the uh, Reformed uh, Jews, he said, We read the, the prophets, but we don't read the law. But he said, We read the prophets and we look for social justice statements. We don't really pay attention to what they're saying. He actually said that to me. Christians are doing the same thing. They're saying, Well, you know, we just, we don't want, we want to tone the word down so we don't get too offensive. Right? i've got to tell you folks when you start toning the word down we're in trouble That's right. when i first came to christ i remember going to a family wedding and i caused quite a stir because i was witnessing to everybody and anything that moved okay <laughs> i had a bunch of my cousins uh they were in this part of the wedding and they said what happened to you and i'm telling all these stories and one of my uncles pulls me aside he says hey it's okay to get a little bit of religion he says but don't go overboard with this stuff okay Next thing I knew, I was in the bar with a bunch of uncles telling them about Jesus. Yes. (laughs) If any of my uncles are out there listening, they're probably all gone by now. I hope they're in heaven. But I just want to say this. It's 40-some years later. I'm still telling people about Jesus. And my gospel hasn't changed because Jesus' gospel does not change. It doesn't mean my understanding of the word is perfect. That's why I walk with other leaders and we discuss things and I allow them to challenge me. But I know the principles of God's word. And if we, as the people of God, decide that we're going to change our message in any way, we're exactly like that lighthouse. We will give people part of God's word, but we will lure them to their destruction. In the last couple of weeks, we've begun with the first three principles. One, God's word is divinely inspired. Two, the word of God is enduring. In other words, it doesn't change over time. You can go to the next slide there, if you will. And then three, we're not ashamed of the gospel of God's word. I just want to say something about being ashamed uh, of the gospel of God's word. I hope you heard my heart a couple weeks ago when I talked especially about one of the, the largest issues of our day, and that's about sexuality and gender issues, homosexuality and We talked about, I I guess Facebook has over 70 different genders that you can choose now online. I saw a a little uh, cartoon and it had a picture of Adam and Eve and it said, God created them male and female. The rest of the genders were man's idea. I want to say something to you because I have great compassion for people that are in gender confusion, just like I have great compassion for people that are in drug addiction, Just like I have great compassion for people that are in pornography addiction. Just like I have great compassion for people that are compulsive liars. I don't think we should judge anybody. We need to present the love of God to everybody. But we also need to know that in standing firm for the gospel, there are now seven different bills of legislation I read this morning in Texas alone trying to silence Christians. And it's all about, if you don't agree with me, then you as a Christian have no right to speak out in the marketplace. You have no right to say anything. How ironic that we've come to the place where in a generation things have flip-flopped. And and it's interesting. I mean, I've heard people always proclaiming that about sexual sin, what's true. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard people saying, if you don't agree with me as a Christian, you have no right to live. We're not those kind of religious people. Those people are in the world. It's radical Islam. It's not us. I'm just being very frank with you here. So as you hear me speak out Understand I will speak out about what's happening in our world and I will speak out about what The resistance is happening right now. We are literally as Christians being excised from google facebook And all the major platforms and if you haven't read about that it is Astounding what is happening Sometimes we try to solve spiritual problems in the wrong way we need to understand at the root of all this there's a spiritual problem in our culture it's called the spirit of antichrist the spirit of antichrist does not want to tolerate anything anything of the truth of the lord jesus and why is it that all those groups are always upset about christians in israel the people of god these are prophecies that I, you don't want to hear me quote, but are out of Matthew 24 and Luke 17, Jesus says, before I come, before I return, you will be hated by all nations. And then the end will come. So that's a sobering thing, because honestly, I don't hate anybody. I see somebody going after somebody that is a trans, and I, and I saw this the other day, I saw people disrespecting uh, somebody that was a transsexual person. And I made sure, it was in a a restaurant situation, and I made sure that I was very kind to this person. I could tell that they were hurting. I don't know what's going on in their life. All I have to say is, I know what the answer is. It's not me yelling at them. It's not me judging them. It's me telling them that the same Jesus who changed my heart can change their heart. Amen. Okay? So I don't hate anybody. But if you start coming into my children or grandchildren's elementary school telling my kids that there are 70 genders, you've created a problem. Yes. I'll be putting out some things on my blog in the next couple of weeks. There was a major study that was just done that was totally suppressed about how many people are turning to gender confusion simply because there is social pressure to do so. There have always been people that have dealt with attractions, especially in the teenage years. We just never took them seriously. And we said, this is probably a developmental thing that's going to happen that you'll grow out of. But honestly, when people are doing things like pumping their pre teenage children with hormones and choosing a gender for them, If the Lord doesn't return, I see the day when some angry children are going to grow up and sue their parents for some of the things that have been done. Many years ago, I had a friend, not nobody from this church. This is many, many years ago. He was raised by parents who wouldn't tell him what was right or wrong. They said, we don't want you to be judgmental. He was one of the angriest people I knew. He couldn't make a decision. He would ask his mom and dad to help him make a decision. They said, we can't tell you. Parents, we need to speak the truth into the life of our kids. Right. And we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. I just felt like I needed to say a little bit more about that. So on the one hand, I have great compassion for people of any kind of brokenness in our society. Anybody here that's not broken in some way? Good. I'm glad. Last time I asked that, there were hands that went up. <laughs> you, you all are learning not to trust me when I ask that. We need to be careful about that. So me, a recovering anger rager, liar, you know, over the years, I think about all the things. I've been through freedom prayer more than all of you. I can say it like the Apostle Paul. And you think I'm kidding, I'm not. I want to go back to that whole picture of a lighthouse. As we move through life, we need to have a lighthouse that is firmly rooted where it's supposed to be. The truth of God plainly and clearly proclaimed so that we can make course corrections in our life. Yes. There's not a day that doesn't go by where I need to reference the lighthouse and say, I need to know where the Lord is on this. The first week we started the fasting and prayer, I ended up on my knees and the Lord said, this is an attitude issue I want to work in in you. And I, I ended up on my knees repenting before the Lord. If you want to know what it was about, you have to take me out to dinner. I won't say it here. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid as a pastor when I say that. They say, what's going on in this life? You know, I get angry. I deal with things, with temptations, like everybody else. You know what Steve shared a moment ago? Let me reference that. I'll never forget being at the Promise Keepers rally in Pittsburgh a number of years ago. And they said, for, every, for all the guys that are struggling with pornography, and, and right now, by the way, over 50% of women struggle with pornography, too. The figures are so high. They said, would you stand? And we want to have a special time of prayer. And after that, they said, now for the rest of you that have a lying spirit that did not stand. And you know, I don't think they were kidding. They weren't kidding. It's so good to be in a church where I don't have to be perfect, but I have to be moving toward who God wants me to be. I want to be better next week than I am this week. And I want the lighthouse to be there. And I want to be able to look at that lighthouse. So the the Lord's prayer that he gave us, that daily prayer, is a daily prayer of repentance, of asking forgiveness and releasing those who have sinned against us. That's what it means to sail your ship and to reference the lighthouse. Well, let's move on. Number four, God wants to cultivate a love for his word in us. He doesn't want us to just endure his word He wants us to learn to love his word. Jeremiah the prophet proclaims his love for God's word, and I love the way he says it. Jeremiah 15, 16, he said, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. How many of you have been reading in the word and reading along and all of a sudden something comes alive to you and it's something that God is quickening. He's making it clear to you and it's almost like you feel like you've eaten a good meal. It fills you up, and there's a joy, and there's a delight, and you know that God is speaking to you, that he has a word for you, that he doesn't reject you. He wants to lead you deeper in understanding of his things. Are God's words a joy to you? I grew up in a church, and I ran from the Lord, as you know my story, for almost six years. I was a uh, modern-day Jonah. I had a call the ministry and I ran away, and um, but yet I was uh, when I was rebelling against God. I was still in the advanced Sunday school class because I, you know, the Bible was a book and you know we studied that. And I knew all that stuff, but it was very interesting. The night that I committed my life to Christ at Kent State University in that residence hall, I was looking out the window, and something that I had memorized as a little boy came back to me, and the Lord said see the snow out there? I'm making you as white as snow. I am forgiving your sin. And that word that I remembered, well, once you put the word of God in your heart, it's something that you, you not only reference, but it's something that works in you. I pray sometimes for people that get away from the Lord that God would activate the word in their hearts and remind them things. I was so good because of my training in the advanced sunday school class that i'd go to a bar and i would preach people under conviction as we were drinking beer one night had a whole bunch of guys and they were out to stop the antichrist i was telling them all about it and i walked away and i said why am i living in rebellion against god i don't fit in here and i don't fit into the kingdom of god i'm in the i'm where the lord says he's going to spit me out of his mouth i remember that verse too i said i need to repent and i went home miserable Until I repented and got right with God. I'm just being very honest with you. I remembered Psalm 51 7. I didn't remember where the scripture was, but it says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And that's the verse that the Lord brought back to me that night. His word was was there in my heart and God activated. He made it alive. If you don't open the Bible, that won't be in you. I can't tell you how many Christians tell me when I ask them, tell me how you read the Bible. They don't read the word. I don't want to embarrass anybody here today, but I've got to tell you, you've got to open the book and get it in you before you can digest it, before it can work in you. If you're saying, well, you know, it's hard for me to read the Bible. I don't understand. Get a modern translation like the New Living Translation. There's another new one out. I don't know if it's good or bad, but read one of those. Uh, Sometimes when we read the old translations, they're hard to understand, but Janice and I, when we started reading the NLT, it was like all of a sudden things came alive and we said, wow, I never saw it like that. And we'd go back and read, uh, you know, our previous Bibles that we read and it came alive. I bought several, by the way, uh, Bibles that are chronological. If you want to read through the Bible chronologically, they're out there. We're selling them at cost. Uh, if you've never done that, that's a great place to start. It's an amazing uh, journey through the Bible. So God wants us to put the word in so he can activate those things in us. God's word can be a comfort. It can be a stabilizing factor in our lives. The more word you hide in your heart, the more God can activate and use that for you. Job 23.12 says, I've not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Deuteronomy 6 says, these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Parents, you need to be sharing the word with your children. It doesn't have to be a long, uh, major sermon that you do with them, but read something. If you haven't gotten that Bible app that we have out there, uh, especially with little kids, my grandkids love that. So I ask them to bring me a book to read, and they grab that, and they bring it to me. And, uh, and they love that, but it says impress them on your children. Talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the doorframes of your houses and on your gates. If you come to our house, we have a mezuzah at each door. That's a Jewish, uh, little, uh, thing. It's, it holds a scroll and inside is a word with blessings for our house. There are things that the Lord gave us, scriptures and the Ten Commandments, and we put those in there. And and sometimes in the Jewish culture, when you leave or come into a home, you bless it. You put your blessing on the house. When Jesus told his disciples to bless every house they were going into, I'm sure he was thinking of that mezuzah, of blessing the home. But he was saying, as you go in and as you go out, the, the idea is, may nothing evil enter this home and may good only come out of this house. May God's blessing be upon our home. This is what he's saying here in Deuteronomy. He's telling the people, whatever you do, wherever you go, be talking about the word with your children and with your family. In certain seasons of human history, there's been a dearth of the word. There's been a famine of the word when you couldn't even get the word. People couldn't even get the Bible in their own language. Today, in most homes, there are at least three or four Bibles. We need to open them and we need to read them. Number five, God's word is alive and powerful to transform. These are seven principles. This is the fifth. Hebrews 4.12 says, "...for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight." Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. God's Word is so powerful that it even divides between soul and spirit. The Bible teaches us that we are three part beings we are body, we are soul, and we're spirit. The soul is our intellect, it's our will, it's our emotions. The spirit is the part of man that enables us to communicate with God. That's the part of you that's aware of God's presence. The ancients believed that the seat of the Spirit was right here. As a matter of fact, instead of saying out of the heart, they would say out of the gut would would flow uh, rivers of living water. That's what Jesus was saying on that day on the feast. The Spirit of God within us. And the word is so powerful that it's not just another book, it's not just philosophy, it's not just stories, but it is a powerful word that can minister to your soul and your spirit as well. God's word can reveal. It goes to the very core of your being. It can do surgery. It can heal. It can be a sword to do battle against the enemy. Ephesians 6:17 uh, talks about the word as a sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I was reminded, especially during this time of fasting and prayer years ago, we had this picture of this exquisitely outfitted knight. He had a beautiful sword. He had a beautiful shield. he had an amazing helmet. it was just gleaming armor, and he was standing there while his foe beat on him. You need to use the sword. The more of the word that you have, the more that you'll be able to use the word in situations in in prayer, in situations that you're in, and taking authority. It's important to have the word of God. When God's word is spoken in alignment with God's will, it can do amazing things. When God's word is activated in our hearts and minds, it transforms and changes us from the inside out. Many of you have heard the story when God's word is is in alignment with God's will. Years ago, we had a lady in the church named Shirley. And on our day off, Janice and I were praying for her. Shirley was, they were telling her she was going to die from leukemia. She was in uh, serious stages near the end. And uh, as we, Janice and I were just shouting, we were in my truck and we were driving somewhere and we were just shouting, saying, Lord, you can't let this happen. We don't believe Shirley's time is done. We just cry out to you. We want to see a miracle. And the Lord said on Sunday morning, I want you to walk up to Shirley. He just, these thoughts just dropped into my head. And I want you to speak to her bone marrow. And I want you to tell her bone marrow to live and to produce cells the way they're supposed to do it. And I walked up to Shirley that Sunday morning and I said, Shirley, I said, I I was praying for you and I felt like the Lord said, she said, pastor, she had this great Southern accent. She said, pastor, you do whatever the Lord told you to do. And and she said, whatever, whatever God told you to do, I want it. And she said, I'm going to lift my hands. You pray for me. And I spoke to her. Now I want to tell you something. I never would have been presumptuous to speak that if I didn't believe I was in alignment with God's will. But when he gave that to me and I spoke that to her she was instantly healed she she passed away many years later of something different but it was not leukemia it was so amazing when it happened and she worked she was uh, the dispatcher for the um, fire station here in Hudson and some of the firemen had been meeting and they were they had met with me we got together with a fire chief with lunch and we said hey if our church your church and the fire station can work together let's take care of Shirley so one of the firemen after it was all over said we are really shook up at the fire station. We have never seen anything like what happened at your church. We can't believe it. This is amazing. He said, I would really like to go to your church, but I'm afraid of the presence of God because we know you guys are for real. He said, but I'm going to the church that I grew up in. I'm going back to church. He said, cause this is really shaking me up. I want to see more of that. Yeah. Okay. When you get into the word and when you seek the Lord, when God gives you a word, when he quickens that word to you, it's so powerful. There's an agreement there. There's an authority that comes. But it's the word that causes faith to rise up in our hearts. It's the word that causes us to come into that place alive. And we've seen this happen, uh, Janice and I, in our lives again and again and again. I had a pastor about a month ago that said, man, I wish I was seeing miracles. We see miracles all the time. We were talking about it in prayer this morning. The funny thing is I'll mention them and other Christians don't get excited about it. It's almost like there's a disbelief in our culture. I can't tell you how many times people have gone to the doctor after we've prayed and the doctor can't explain to them why things are different. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for people that have had a death sentence from the medical community, and they, they're telling the truth. Science is saying they're in trouble. That's not a bad thing. That's just a fact. And we've prayed for them, and the doctors say, I can't understand what's going on. The day that my dad really started getting excited about the Lord, he had uh, macular degeneration. He had a detached retina. He had lost the sight in his one eye, and we prayed for him, and God reattached his retina. When I went to the ophthalmologist, because we went to the same one, he says, I'm a Catholic guy, and he says, I need to talk to you. He said, I believe everything that you do. He said, we believe the word, we believe the creed, and he's, we're going through, he says, you believe this? Yeah, you believe this, you believe this. I said, we differ on some things, like Mary and statues and stuff like that. I said, but I, everything you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. He said, well, what's the difference? I said, I believed it. No, I didn't want to indict him. But I want to ask the question. So God tells us to go out and lay hands on the sick. Why are we doing it? The word tells us these signs will follow those that believe. I think part of the problem is we don't have enough of the word in us. God's not speaking to our hearts. We're not allowing the Lord to fill us up. So we don't have anything to share with people around us. Most Christians are so harried and out of control and their lives are out of control that if, if God gets anything, it's a little bit at the end of the day. And if you get guilty this morning and walk away and get guilty and say, man, that was uh, he's right, that's terrible, don't get guilty, change what you're doing. When you get to the point where you love the word so much and the word comes alive and you know, okay, when I show up with this group of people, exciting things are going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. The Lord is there. Mm -hmm. Think about that. When I go out in the morning and when I go out in the day, I don't know what's going to happen. There are divine appointments that happen all the time. People come to work in this building. I pray for a lot of them. One guy that came here, I, I ended up praying for him before Christmas. We had a lot of contractors, and I don't want to share this guy's story individually. But we stopped and prayed, and the presence of God fell on him. And he goes to a church that doesn't believe that God does that. And all of a sudden, God was there in the room. The Lord came in the room. Because... It wasn't because of me it was because i obeyed my family used to tell me you know we know god's with you you're like a priest these are all my catholic relatives and i said no you don't understand all you have to do is read the word and believe and god can do this in you they would call me to pray for them and i'd say have you prayed have you read the word so here's what i'm saying to you we need to get the word in us When the word is activated in our hearts and minds, it transforms and changes us from the inside out. If you're not reading the word, you're not giving God a chance to do a lot of things that he wants to do in you. Is that true? He gives us the power to uh, be transformed. So don't leave your spiritual sword in its sheath. Don't be like that picture of the night I saw that was getting beat up by his enemy, but pull the sword out and use it. Number six We are called to study the word and correctly handle the truth of God. I want you to, this is out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. The King James here says, one who rightly divides the word of God. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more ungodly, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the truth of some. I, I went on a little bit here, because I want you to know something. Satan is a twister of God's Word. He is so audacious that he even had the cheek to, right to the face of Jesus, twist the Word. All you have to do is throw yourself off this building. The angels will catch you, you know, and there's more to that temptation. We'll save that for another, another message. There are many people that say, well, that's how you understand the word. Can I tell you something? There's one correct interpretation of the word of God. And that's what the author intended. You thought I was going to say the way I understand it, right? I do have to tell you, I've grown over the years in my understanding of the word, but I don't think I've changed any major doctrines in the 40 years I've known the Lord. I think we can all grow in the word and I think there's one interpretation and that's what God's word is. We need to correctly handle the word of truth. People today are so twisting the word that it is out of control. And it's been going on for a long time. When I went into my sociology class at Kent State as a young student and uh, my teacher, I think he's, he's gone now, but he said, uh, in the beginning, God created them male and female. So in the beginning, everybody was bisexual and said, excuse me, sir, uh, I don't think that's what it means. He says, oh, you're one of those born agains. I was trying to flush him out at the beginning of the class. And then at the next time I raised my hand, he says, I'm not going to let you talk anymore in the class. He said, your worldview has been the dominant worldview for a long time, so you have no right to speak. So this is what's been going on university campuses for years. And I used to warn pastors about this. They said, oh, come on, that's just crazy. That's just the university. So where is it now? It's everywhere. It's everywhere and it's twisting of the word. We need to be the people of God that know how to correctly handle the word of truth. There are not many ways to interpret the way, word. There is one way, the way the author intended. We have to do our work to rightly divide the word. We need to consider culture, the original languages. What did it mean to the people that were, it was originally delivered to? If we come up with something different for us than what it meant to them back then, then I think we're violating something in Scripture. Two interesting examples from Deuteronomy, and sometimes people say, but look what's in the word, man. There's such crazy stuff in the word. Deuteronomy 2.8 says, when you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. People say the Bible is so wacky and it's so out of tune and there's stuff in there that's so old. Well, I know what it meant to the people back then. What does that mean? that means that you need to be responsible not to put a stumbling block or something that's going to hurt people in showing your hospitality so janice and i got our couch recovered we love our couch we didn't want to give it up but we got new material on it before christmas that was my christmas gift because i sleep on that couch sometimes i take naps not at night that sounded ominous didn't it so I'm outside walking around. This is before we had any snow. And the steps on the back of my porch where they were going to bring the couch in, I noticed that they were broken and they were tilted down. And that the founda- they had come out of the foundation. And the Lord brought this scripture to mind. And he said, those guys that are delivering your couch, you need to not put a stumbling block. You need to be careful. And, and I went out and I fixed the stairs. I put a new stone foundation underneath and I rebuilt it and re-nailed it and the whole thing. So when those guys came, they had a steady place to go up. So yeah, it may not mean the same thing to us today that it meant to them, but there's a transcultural, transbiblical principle, and that is we're responsible in the way that we reach out to people around us. For that architect at that lighthouse at the beginning of my message, the responsibility for him was to do a job of excellence so lives would be saved, not a shoddy job that was going to be easy for him. And how many people in our world today could benefit from listening to Deuteronomy? There's another passage there in Deuteronomy. It says, do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Now, how much did they know about agriculture back then? Maybe a little bit more than we think. But they're saying there, be careful that you don't cross-pollinate your seeds and plant things that are going to create trouble for you in your vineyard. There was a spiritual principle application to this, but he's saying there, be careful in what you do. Now, by the way, if you, for instance, if you live in certain communities and you want to grow your own corn and you're across the street from somebody that's growing a um, hybrid form of corn, okay. And you get cross pollinization, you could end up with corn that has a DNA marker that doesn't belong to you. Think about that. This has more application for us now than it did before. By the way they're selling hybrid corn in india and instead of corn bringing forth after its own kind they have to buy the corn seed corn every year from the same company there's a dependency that's there okay but this is interesting about mixing things and allowing things to happen i know i'm going to get it from my agricultural friends and we talk about that later but there are some there are some issues that we need to think about The Bible may be old and it may be different in certain areas. And there are other things that are straight out and that are so clear to us. It it takes very little interpretation, whatever. When it says don't commit adultery, it doesn't take much interpretation in any language or any time, does it? When it says honor one another and consider others better than yourself, that doesn't take much interpretation. After 2,000 years, that still resonates. It's true in our hearts and learning to honor people. Number seven, the last principle that I want to share in this series, and I know it's taken a while for us to get here. Galatians 18, there are grave consequences for changing God's message or altering his word. Galatians uh, excuse me, 1.8 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Wait a minute, let me back up. Listen to what I'm saying here. This is the Apostle Paul. If we, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Those are pretty strong words. Let me read on. He says, as we have already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I lying to try to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is one of the most important words that we need to hear in the season in which we live. Are you going to be a God pleaser or are you going to be a people pleaser? You have to make a decision. You can't be both. Paul says it very clearly. He says, if I'm going to be a servant of God, I can't be someone who lives to please people. In the name of making the gospel relevant, so many people have changed the word of God and changed and made things different than what the Lord originally delivered that I shake in my boots. We live in a season where God is calling us to look at his word and say, this is the word of God. It cannot be changed. I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to stand in his word and not be changed. There's something happening in our planet, and it's accelerating. This is another article from Tech Times. Mysterious shift in the Earth's magnetic field. How many of you know in the last couple years that the Earth's magnetic field is shifting so rapidly that your GPS is no longer uh, accurate? We're about five years behind, and it's shifted actually miles, many kilometers. So let me read this. Scientists update the WVM. Let me, let me back up here. Earth's magnetic field is constantly moving, and because it's used to uh, properly navigate the planet, scientists need to regularly update the world magnetic model to account for shifts in the field. Scientists update the WMM uh, every five years. It's, the WMM is now behind modern navigation used by Google Maps, planes, and ships in the sea. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration maintains the key role in the VMM in modern navigation. While GPS is helpful for navigation, it has limitations in that it only provides the position. The magnetic field provides the orientation and the direction one is facing. The U.S. National Geophysical Data Center released the current version of the VMM or WMM in 2015. So we're four years behind right now. Let me stop and tell you right now, that means that your compass that you have that is pointing to north, north has moved. Did you know that? So we used to think compasses were to- always right. The actual poles are moving. The north and south poles of the earth are shifting right now. For reasons that baffle scientists, let me go on with this article. However, the magnetic north pole is acting up. It's been moving away from Canada and towards Siberia at an erratic rate. Sierra Began of the British Geological Survey in Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh excuse me, said it moves about 30 miles a year. It didn't move much between 1900 and 1980, but it's been accelerating over the last 40 years, Begin said. Earth's magnetic field is generated by unpredictable changes in molten iron deep at the core of the planet. It's not clear yet what is behind the erratic changes uh, in the magnetic field, but some scientists think it has something to do with high-speed jet of liquid iron beneath Canada. So the North Pole that I knew as a little kid is no longer. It's moving. I felt when I read this article that I almost feel like this is where the world is today. We think we're going the right way and we think we have a clear understanding of where we are and where we're going, but the things that we've always trusted in are moving. There's only one way that we can really dial in and I'm not talking about GPS. Now I'm talking about the God positioning system. Remember when I talked about that, God knows where you are and he knows where you need to go. That's our GPS, okay? The Lord wants us to reference him in all that we do. And as we talk about God's word, God's ways, God's presence, it all starts with honoring the word and saying, Lord, your word is going to be the lamp for my feet and the light for my path. I pray that all the time out of the Old Testament. God, let your word be a light for my feet. Let it be a lamp for my path. God wants to recalibrate our hearts just like we recalibrate. I was, I was hearing in Florida, it's worse. The farther you get away from the poles, uh, the worse it is with the GPS systems in Florida, they were having problems with planes being off course in certain airfields. Think about that. So they have to keep recalibrating this. Well, folks, we need to recalibrate our heart with God and with his word. And that's the one thing that doesn't change is his word. That make sense. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just come to you right now and we humbly say in a world that seems to be shifting so rapidly, Lord, that we need a rock. We need a place to stand that is not going to be moved. And Jesus, that's what they called you the rock. Lord, you're like a rock that's bigger than the entire universe. The words that you proclaim, you tell us that even after heaven and earth pass away, your words will endure forever. We want to thank you, Lord, in a world that's shifting, that your word is always true. Lord, we need you to recalibrate our hearts right now. How many of you would say, I need a GPS update? you know, we download stuff. We need to download right now. And it's not just going to come in a moment, although we can make a decision to walk the right way. It's going to come as we get into the word and allow God to recalibrate our heart and our minds. Lord, I pray that you would help us, help us to be people that love your word, that delight in your word, that don't just put your word on the shelf and not open it, but people that really get deep into your word. Forgive us, Lord, for ignoring the things that you have given to us. Generations of people died so that we could have a printed Bible in our own language. In over 47 countries right now in the, in the world, People can be arrested or die for having the Bible. And yet, Lord, we have so much of the word here in our our land, in our culture. God, help us to be those workmen that we read about today that correctly handle the word of truth, that study to show ourselves approved before you. Forgive us, Lord, for being lazy at times, Forgive us, God, for ignoring you. Forgive us, Lord, for spending hours and hours on devices that are internet-based and yet saying we can't take five or ten minutes in the Word. Lord, I don't want to put guilt on anybody, but Lord, if there's conviction of your Holy Spirit, let it sink into our hearts that you would change us and rearrange us, God. We proclaim that you are our our eternal positioning system. You are our reference. You're the truth. And we thank you, God. We bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. How many of you would say, I I really want to take this to heart? This is not one of those things where you cry and weep and moan and wail, but you, you need to just turn around and do the right thing. So, Father, give us the courage. Lord, a lot of us raised our hands. Give us the courage, Lord, to find that time and that place. I'm just having a picture of of people in this room just changing your normal daily routine, whether it's turning off a TV or turning off music or whatever, and just getting alone with the Word and just getting alone with God. The Lord wants to meet you. He wants to give you things. So Lord, just bless us and help us to walk in that intimacy with you and to find that richness in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.